Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International, Tuesday at 10 p.m. on ACB Radio Maine, or wherever you get your podcasts. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. The dreamers and me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Pride Connection. I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony Corona. I have, am, of course, joined by President Gabriel lopez Cafati. Say hi, Gabe. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Pride Connection Live. And Leah Gardner, who you might have heard earlier on Tuesday Topics. Leah, say hi. Hey, everybody. Hey, this is uh, back-to-back live Pride Connection. (laughs) Pretty good. And we are continuing our conversation from last week. We are welcoming our guests, past president Will Burley and Cheryl Cummings. And as we discussed last week, there is a, a... idea that you have to decide on. Are you an ally? Are you a co-conspirator? Or are you standing on the sidelines and just watching what unfolds? Gabe, I know you have a short president's message, and we'll jump right in with Leah and Cheryl and get to the heart of the matter today. Gabriel. I love how you said short. Emphasis on short, right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's see how well that permeates. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, ACB Radio. Thanks, Jason, uh, for streaming for us tonight. Um, uh, we also, I just want to acknowledge that we did open up for uh, exclusively BPI members tonight to jump in on the discussion. And I know we have uh, long-standing, longstanding member Bruce Radke joining us as well. So I'm sure he'll be participating, jumping in with questions and or comments. Um, this is, like Anthony said, a continuation of last week's discussion on uh, racial justice. And uh, for those of you who did not catch our uh, show last week or our podcast, um, Will Burley ended our uh, discussion with a very, very interesting uh, takeaway, which was, are you an ally or a co-conspirator or just standing on the lines? And that's how we have named this continuation. Um, So we're going to open it up. Again, we have Cheryl Cummings and Will Burley leading our discussion. I just want to point something out. Um, I, I want to send a huge shout out to Tim Cummings, our editor extraordinaire. Uh, and I want to say, I'm sorry, Tim, when we don't bug you to edit, we steal your wife. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> so one way or are, another, he's, uh, he's one way on or another, he's He's contributing with Pride Connection. So big shout out to Mr. Tim and Cheryl Cummings. So uh, without further ado, let's jump in to our discussion and uh, talk about racial justice. Um, so who wants to start us off? Will, I'm wondering for people that didn't li- listen last week. Yes. It's a story that... It's a story that you told that kind of spurred this conversation. I'm wondering if you can, if you can repeat that 
story about the woman who I believe she was climbing a um, flagpole to take down a Confederate flag. Is that correct? Right. Um, In South Carolina around the Mm -hmm. time when, um, I don't want to say the guy's name, when um, he um, killed the folks in the AME church Mm -hmm. um, and they wanted to take down the Confederate flag that flew over the uh, legislature. So there was, and I can't remember their names, of course, but um, they trained a, a, a black uh, woman to climb the flagpole, and there was a white man with her that was kind of the lookout. Um, and so she climbed the, the pole, and the police came, and they were going to tase the pole to get her down. Well, she would have fallen down. She would have been seriously injured. So the white man that was with her put his hand on the pole because he knew that the police would not tase the pole with him being the white man mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So that's he how was a he conspirator. Be- yeah. Yeah, he went from being an ally to a co-conspirator because he had he had skin in the game, so to speak. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what does that mean, Will? I, skin in the game. Across the board, many of our listeners, many of BPI members are out there protesting. They're out there adding their voice to the conversation. So what does it really mean to go from being an ally to a co-conspirator? I mean, it's a very obvious choice to put your hand on the pole and say, you're not going to hurt her without hurting me. So do your best shot. But in other ways, how can you move from being an ally to a co-conspirator in this in this conversation? Well, that's a good question. Um, and I, I do want to say for some people, it is it's fine to be an ally, especially when you're just learning. <clears throat> Um, so there's nothing wrong with, um, learning, um, you know, reading the books, um, watching movies, things like that. But when, when you have skin in the game, you're, especially for our, um, white co-conspirators, they're putting their privilege on the line to say, you're going to treat everybody just like you treat me. And I think that's the most important part. You're put, those people are putting their privilege on the line. So it's not just, hey, I, I listen to this great podcast where they're, you know, um, talking about racial injustice, I'm going to do something about it. So, like I said, it's fine to have the, be an ally, um, do the listening sessions because that, that's important too. But after you learn, what is it that you're going to actually do? Yeah. So Cheryl, Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to follow up because um, another 
term that I heard was being an accomplice, same as mm. co-conspirator. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm borrowing this from some lectures I listened to um, uh, from, I think it was Kellogg School at Northwestern University. Um, and they were talking about, um, you know, that they're there. So I think when you hear those words accomplice and co-conspirator, you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, what like huge thing I have to do. And they, they've actually said, you know, challenge yourself to speak up to the uncle or the family member you have who like just tosses that as, you know, uh, pejorative terms or uh-huh. you sort of assess things that in mm-hmm. the past you might have let go um you know not that you you want to you know get into a fight with people but to let people know um, on which side you stand yeah and that it's, yeah. it's not it, it's not acceptable so i think there there are little actions you can take I mean, and, and, you know, I suppose on a, on a bigger stage, if you are somebody who has the uh, good fortune or the privilege to be in rooms where things are being discussed, again, you know, as, as Will said, um, you know, take, you know, be willing to sort of put skin in the game and be willing to say when you hear it that, you know, we should, like, you know, this, that, again, not acceptable. Uh, this might not be the way we want to approach something or we need to look at this issue from different perspectives. Just just to speak up um, and to, I, I, I'm going to say act up, but not not, <laughs> not, not in a negative way. As, as yeah. uh, John Lewis said, the good trouble, you know, um, so. And Cheryl, you know, I wanted to ask you um a couple of weeks ago in portland and just two nights ago there are mothers women of gentle color of of white descent who stood in front of the lines linked hands and made that human barrier so those without a doubt have to be Mm co-conspirators how much value you know, do you personally, as a woman, as a woman who's championing this this conversation, how much value do you put in a chain of women, including pregnant women, who put their bodies between the police and protesting and put their their personal safety at at risk to to make a statement? Yeah, no, that I think is. I mean, that just blows my mind. I've heard. Um, one or two of the women who were actually part of the, that group um, interviewed. And I, th- I think, you know, she said something extremely valuable, which was the actions that you see them take are actions that they've actually, you know, discussed with the Black Lives uh, matters protesters so they're not like independently going off and sort of doing stuff they're working collaboratively and I think that may be a caution to everybody you know don't just sort of like go off and say and think you know because mm-hmm. even uh. if you know you may know but you know talk to the people whose lives you're about to impact um, mm-hmm. about what you're thinking of doing and make and, and make sure that that's the type of assistance they 
they need or they want. Mm-hmm. That was a concerted effort. I mean, there was a lot of organization involved in um, th- those women doing that. It wasn't just um, it was sort of like a, a, a just ad hoc decision. Um, but that was incredible, incredible. I obviously didn't see the photographs, you know, but just hearing about it um, took a lot of strength. Absolutely. Yes. You know, Cheryl, I just want to step back for, for a moment because, you know, a lot of people don't have an opportunity to, to engage in that kind of, um, you know, in, in that kind of compliance or, or co-conspiracy. But I just wanted to go back to what you were saying, you know, about talking to a family member. And I think that's really crucial because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have, <laughs> or have had family members that, say things that are just not okay. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> you, you made me think, you actually made me think of my grandfather who's passed away, but um, he, he fought in world war two and he <clears throat> was in Japan. And, you know, when he came home from world war two for a lot of the rest of his life, he said terrible things um, about anybody Asian, but particularly um, anyone Japanese and he, you know, he would not buy, he wouldn't buy cars made in Japan. Um, <laughs> you know, he said that Japanese people smelled bad, that, you know, and I heard this for a good chunk of my life um, growing up. And there was always a discomfort about it. I didn't like hearing it, you know, but my mother would say, that's just your grandfather. That's just the way he is. You know, that's what he went through in World War II, you know. This is what basically shaped him, you know, but I, you know, I always felt really, I'd always get this icky feeling, you know, in the pit of my stomach, like that's just not, it's just not okay. That's not right. And I remember when I was 13 or 14, I basically told him that it wasn't okay. And that in world war two, you know, America put people of Japanese descent in internment camps and, you know, just, completely ruined those, their, their lives, tore, tore their livelihoods away from them. And I remember I was eating lunch at the time and he was like, go eat your lunch. You don't know what you're talking about, but it still felt really good to actually vocalize something about it. Right. Even if he didn't listen, Mm -hmm. just the feeling that, um, uh, that I at least said something, um, I think just small things like that, you know, if people maybe start that way, it it gives increasing amounts of courage over time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm, you know, uh, uh, immigrant and as an uh, African American Mm -hmm. and, you know, my, my uncle who I love dearly, um, is is also an immigrant, and he has some not very good ideas about African Americans, and so he and I go at it a lot mm-hmm. when when we get together, because it was one thing when I was younger, and you know you couldn't speak up because he's an uncle, and you know he's an adult, and I mean, and now it's like. He's, you know, he's still my uncle, but there, you just have to say, you know, not, as I said, not acceptable. And you, and, you know, and I know there, there are family members who 
we have like gentler discussions with versus <laughs> others. But I still think, as you said, Leah, it's important to say something. So when you're trolling Facebook and other forms of social media and you mm -hmm. see how much dissension, how much difference there is between the sides that are taken, how much do you think there is, how much value do you think there is in saying something across social media? Oh, well, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's part of the, the ally conspirator um, action, right? I mean, you know, you can certainly pick your battles. I don't know that you, I mean, if you decided to respond to absolutely everything, I think that would be overwhelming. Um, but I think, you, you know, there, sometimes there are things that are said that are just so egregious that you mm -hmm. must say something. Um, you know, and, 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 I mean, be aware that the person that you might have said something to, that they might come back at you. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just have to decide. They usually what, do. Yeah. And you have to decide <laughs> how to, long you, know, you want to keep that going because right. we have lives and work and. Right. Right. Oh, tell me about it. But, Cheryl, but actually, if, I, <laughs> go ahead. I was gonna say, I mean, but if 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 you never respond, then then it this image or this perception that those you know the sort of that certain ideas are acceptable, when we know that there's there's no there's there's no value in dehumanizing anybody, right? Mm -hmm. So we when when we see people doing that, and and when we're and when we know that we're part of systems that are closing off options for other people, um, I, I think, you know, we have to, uh, to the extent that we can speak up, say something, do something. Because um, as, as somebody said, you know, everybody has some degree, degree of privilege. And we have to decide um, for ourselves, like how much are we willing to put whatever privilege we have on the line? On the line, yeah. Will, what would you what would you add to that that piece of conversation? Um, <laughs> I've had to put a lot of people on. What do you call it on Facebook? Where oh, like you don't mute see or unfollow? Yeah. yeah, unfollow. I think it's unfollow. Yeah, unfollow. Yeah. yeah, because it gets to the point where it just drives me mad. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, while, while we all need to say something, we also, like Gabe said, we have jobs, we have families, um, and we have to put things in perspective and sometimes when we don't say something other people will so you just have to kind of gauge it for yourself because you can't save the world in a day or a week or a month <laughs> um so like cheryl was saying you have to pick your battles um and sometimes you have to mute people or even unfriend them because some people are not, they don't want to listen. 
And you have to decide for yourself, is this a person that I want to associate with? And there's mm-hmm. going to be those hard decisions that we have to make. Um, and some of these s- trolls don't let go. They they keep mm-hmm. going and going and going. It's like, you you know, you, you're pol- politely, it's happened to me respectfully, illustrate your, your, uh, you know, like, you know, your cons- co-conspirator um, ideology and tell them this is not right. This is disrespectful. And, uh, you know, you, 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 you put out, you put yourself out there and then they respond back. And then how long do you want to keep it going? Because these people do not let go. And like Cheryl was saying, there's some things that are just egregious. And, and one of the things that has made me almost want to kind of back off a little bit from social media is uh, comments or posts like comparing the Black Lives Matter movement with the KKK. And uh, <laughs> yes, I ha- I don't know if anyone else has, has seen that. I haven't that, seen that they- yet. But yes, yeah, they, have, they, have, they have said uh, things like, you know, like basically comparing them both and calling them both terrorist organizations. Or, or you know, questioning well, how can you defend BLM and condemn KKK? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't mind generally disagreement. But like you said, it has to be, we have to be pulling from the same set of facts. And mm-hmm. then I'm real big on, you, you have to come from a place where, uh, to me, that you're willing to listen and share. Um, if it's not coming from a place of love, and of course that's going to come from our friends and family and those who are more connected to us, and we can even display love by saying, hey, I really want to share this with you. If it's not coming from that place, I don't, I don't, I choose not to deal with those people um, because it's not going to get anywhere. You'll go around in a circle. Yeah, I'll let somebody else deal with that. (laughs) So you you have the floor here, and it's, it's an extremely important conversation, and it's one that we want to make sure that everybody has the ability to at least hear can you give us a personal, you gave us a great and powerful story last week. Can you give us another personal experience in your own life that illustrates the difference between privilege and having to survive and having to make decisions that some of us that are born with the different skin color, the skin color that doesn't raise alarm bells, so to speak, in certain, you know, certain situations and certain communities. Yeah. Um, when I first lost my sight, you know, I moved home for a year um, to get my blindness skills up. And I was so ready to get back out there. But, you know, I had gone from making a, a, a decent amount of money to being only on social security uh, disability benefits. 
So I moved to an area of Houston that was not so great <laughs> as what what I was used to living. Um, and it was it was a pretty pretty rough neighborhood. Um, and somebody one night came banging at my my front door trying to get in my uh, townhouse. So I called the police, let them know, hey, I'm a blind guy. I need the police. This is what's happening. Um, I need you to, you know, let me know, give me the badge number. Um, so the police came, and because of the neighborhood I was in, which was um, mainly a black and brown neighborhood, um, the officer uh, didn't give me his badge, badge number, um, came in my house um, without a warrant, warrant, even though I kept telling him, hey, I'm the one that called, <laughs> and this is what's going on, and he searched my house. Oh, my God. I don't. I don't know for what. Um, and then when I called the police department the next day, I kept getting the runaround. Um, and this went on for months and months um, until I just finally let it go because I'm like, you know, I'm getting to be obsessed with this. And when I lived in a nicer neighborhood that that never would have happened, even though, um, even though I'm black, um, and I have privilege with that because I'm not what people consider the scary black. Because I have a very light skin tone, I'm very um, mild in my talk, um, so I have privilege in that area and that had never happened before but all because mm. of the neighborhood i lived in and it happens all the time and even with disabled folks so this stuff is going on every day all day um and because we don't experience it a lot of people don't think um a lot of people don't believe it happens but it's happening mm -hmm. i remember when i was in in high school senior in high school you know we all started getting cars so i grew up in staten island but we'd go over the bridge into jersey to go to the big malls get some food do a little shopping etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know if we were in a group a lot of times you get a look or two, like what are these guys, what are these kids doing, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a, a group of us that consisted of, of varying shades of color. And mm -hmm. we were in a store and we were literally being followed around every, mm -hmm. every step we took. And it was the first time I ever experienced anything like that. And we spoke up and I wasn't, I wasn't actually the first person to say anything. Um, and it, it was another white kid who said something. And the sales clerk said, you're fine. I'm not watching you. Mm -hmm. As though mm -hmm. it was, as though that was okay. As though that was, yeah, commonplace. And mm -hmm. 
you know, growing up in New York, I just didn't see or experience that. I, I went to a very, very mixed high school, you know, mm-hmm. but once, once you experience that, you, you don't, you can't ever walk away from that. Not, not understanding that I'm, I'm extremely, extremely lucky and privileged just mm-hmm. by who my parents were just by mm-hmm. who I was born to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think if, like you said, we kind of put ourselves in silos um, from where we go, where we live, where we go to church. Um, we silo ourselves with people who look like us or who have the same experiences as us. And I think that contributes to maybe some of the issues with people not believing what's going on. Because even with the videos that we talked about last week, Uh there are still people who, you know, I guess just like the pandemic, it's a hoax. (laughs) It's fake. Yeah, Yeah, it's fake. It's fake news. Not that bad. Yeah, it's just the flu. (laughs) So let's really jump to the heart of the matter. Why is there a disconnect between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter? Now, I know the answer to this, but a lot of people out there really need to hear from from you guys. Why, Why isn't it all... Uh, let me rephrase that. Why is there the need for the difference between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter? Oh, oh my gosh. Where does one start? <laughs> um, I mean, so, let me say this. So fundamentally, nobody thinks that everybody's life doesn't matter. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Nobody, Thank you for that. Absolutely yes. no one is saying that. But what we are saying is that there's been such historical information, current treatment, et cetera, that really suggests that Black lives do not matter, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, Mm -hmm. look at that crazy story that just happened in Kenosha. Mm -hmm. I mean, were you, I I don't know, I was so blown, I was, again, so like stunned, I'm like, I can't have actually these, be hearing these, this. I know. Yeah. Have these cops not been living in the United States for the last few months? Right. Yeah. You know, right. Where do you? So um, I, I think the Black Lives Matter statement is truly just trying to get people. I mean, it's it's showing us a truth that. Um, as Will said, because of our siloed lives, we didn't recognize, or a lot of people didn't recognize. So if you weren't Black, you didn't know that just by walking down the street, a cop could harass you, right? And, and you know, in New York, they called it stop and frisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was harassment, and and, mm-hmm. and it was humiliation. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you weren't black you didn't know that like you know you couldn't you couldn't walk into absolutely any hotel even today and 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 be treated 
with with respect that you were under suspicion or if you went to a store you were under suspicion irrespective of you know how you look uh whether you you'd been there before so it's it's truly just a call for saying hey there are these in in inequities there are these uh, you know long-standing issues there's this prejudice that's been going on and we just need to stop. You know, we really need to mm. acknowledge that this stuff has been happening to Black people. And, and so Black Lives Matter. It is, is truly just like, a, at least for me, it's, it's an attempt to say, I mean, it's an attempt to like get you to understand the past, the current sort of situation, mm-hmm. but also just to, to insist that black people are people, you know, and they're no different than anybody else in this country. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we need to, to do better. Right. And I, I think it was the, uh, one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. And they said, we're saying Black Lives Matter too. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I mean, the systemic thing is nothing new. It goes back to before America was a country. Um, It was written into the Constitution that Blacks were three-fifths human. And people still believe that today. They They don't look at us as even being humans. Um, hence the pictures, how they compare us to monkeys and and things like that. It's such a real feeling out there. Um, and until we can get, we'll, we'll never get rid of racism. And I think everybody knows that. But we have to strive to get people to start treating everybody as though we're all human. And until that happens, we're going to be stuck stuck in the same rut. Um, and a, again, I think the murder of George Floyd was is horrible, but it it shined a light on what's been going on. And I think, um, you know, they say darkness can't can't uh, overcome light. And as long as we're putting light on this stuff, we have a chance to make it better. Yeah. Maybe. Well, this was so blatant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, regarding that topic. Uh, that uh, that question between the comparison between all lives matter and black lives matter. I the way I like to explain it to people is and, and this is ultimately pride connection. So it's 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 a very apropos scenario to bring this comparison up. And uh, and I'm sure those of you who are part of the LGBTQ community uh, here on the call or out there listening will will agree with me. It's like the pride movement. Um, People say, you know, the heterosexual community, sometimes some members of the heterosexual community question the existence of the pride movement. And they say, well, let's have a 
a straight pride movement. And I, I tell them, no, uh, you know, you've never been harassed because of who you love. You've never had to fight to marry the person you love. You've never had to fight to be recognized with the same rights as, you know, as everyone else. So that's the need for pride. The need for pride is to let people know that we're no longer hiding in a closet, that we're out and that we're proud of being who we are and that we just want to be equally recognized as our heterosexual counterparts. So I don't know, Will, if you being part of that intersectionality, you know, we're all about intersectionalities here at BPI, um, mm -hmm. being part of the intersectional intersectionality of being not only black, but also being LGBTQ. Would you agree with that, with that comparison that I, that I usually make? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, and we can compare it, you know, with a whole host of things. Um, I think we as people just got to start thinking outside the box because when you when you think about it it's not hard to treat people like <laughs> humans yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not that hard and i was um listening to some um some uh youtube videos and you know people always uh quote the golden rule treat others as you want to be treated but what i learned was that they um misquoted that is treat people how they want to be treated and the only way you know how people want to be treated is if you communicate with them. And that's that's the big piece. We're not, a lot of us are communicating, but we get stuck on focusing on the ones that don't want to communicate. And I'm guilty of it too. Because I'm like, I got to save the world. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, we just, we have to focus on those that are wanting to be educated out of ignorance. And we have a lot of people that want to be educated out of ignorance. Yeah. So that, that's as, a good as thing. We, as we saw a couple of months ago when BPI started with the uh, pronoun conversation, a lot of people responded positively. And asking us, we don't know, so please educate us. And they reach out to you know us because, like Dr. Marilyn Volker says, those of us who live <laughs> in the shoes, we are the real life experts. So same mm -hmm. thing applies to you guys. We 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 come to you for this conversation because you are the ones who, as much as we can, we can and we want to be allies and co-conspirators. We're never going to live in your shoes. And we're never going to have the kind of experiences that you've had, right. both you and Cheryl in this in this case. And I agree, but I disagree because the difference between the LGBTQ conversation and this conversation is the fact that outwardly there's 
no difference in the way a person walks or the way a person talks, the way a person carries themselves and understands and so on and so forth. But you, you can claim ignorance because if you look at a gender non-binary and androgynous, so on, you know, all the different letters of our beautiful rainbow, there's, there's nothing that outwardly gives you an indication that there may be a difference in a preferred way of being identified, a preferred way of, of feeling. You can pick apart certain things. Oh, this one has a butch haircut or this one ties the shirt up and, and walks with a little bit of swish to the swish. But ultimately, you know, there is a difference when it's the same a man who's six foot tall, 175 pounds, you know, carrying a grocery bag. And the only difference is the shade of the skin. You can't really feign ignorance in that, in that scenario. It either is or it isn't. You either are treating everyone as a human being, or you're saying there's something about the way my skin tone gives me privilege and the way your skin tone makes every or a good number of people stop and look at you in for a second, third and fourth time. So I, I, I love bringing us all together in that way because there are a lot of similarities, but the basic core of it, it, it isn't the same argument. Mm-hmm. Would you, mm-hmm. would you agree, Will and Cheryl? Yeah, it it there's similarities for sure, um, and that's even um, an argument within that I've heard in in Black culture. Do not compare um, LGBT rights to civil rights. That's a big argument, um, but there are similarities. Um, I, you know, I. I well, I'll let Cheryl talk. <laughs> I was gonna go on a tangent. Yeah, well, I I would say, I mean, I I hear you, um, and I think I agree with Will. There are sufficient similarities that I I still think that um, you know there there are connections there, um, and in the sense that. Um, I mean, you're right. You can hide your sexual identity. um, But once people know, you can experience a type of discrimination that's similar to if someone is discriminating against you based on race. Yeah. I'm thinking of the Brandon Tina story. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Those of you who are familiar with that, but I'm thinking of Brandon Tina, where um, uh, he was absolutely harassed by the police and not taken seriously when um, he was raped. When a couple men discovered that um, physically uh, Brandon had uh, female genitalia, um, mm-hmm. it was a terrible story. Terrible story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, Cheryl, if, you're, if that that's kind of what you're saying is 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 that type of crime sort of <clears throat> concurrent on some level with what we see in terms of the racial hate crimes? I I think so. I mean, because 
ultimately, it's a devaluation and a dehumanization of an individual, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's a group of one group of people looking at somebody else and saying, "You don't matter, right? You, mm-hmm. whether they're looking at you based on race or based on gender or identity, um, you know, they they're they're still saying like you don't belong, mm-hmm. you know." Um, so I think when, when, therefore, when we're fighting for rights, you know, the, the common term, the common, uh, the underlying thing is the rights part, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's civil rights or, uh, disability rights or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, rights for Asian Americans or, or LGBTQ rights. I mean, the fact is, like, we're all fighting for our, our humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, that I, I think that means we, we, we need to join forces. Um, mm-hmm. Because I suspect if we did, we would outnumber the ones who are trying to deny us those, those rights. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's it's a little. I, I know it's Pollyannaish, <laughs> but <laughs> but but at the same time, I mean, I I truly do believe that you you need to form linkages and collaborations, um, and you need to like find common ground to work on, and as I, and you know, and as I said, if if you do, I think we would achieve more rather than one group arguing that my rights are different than your rights because mm-hmm. fundamentally, no, they don't think so. Right. And that's what I like about the, the black lives matter movement. Um, you know, there's a 150 different groups that fall under that use um, that uh, movement as a starting point and it looks different in every every city because mm-hmm. every city has different things going on but i can speak uh, for austin you know our black lives austin um they collaborate with other groups so when you have some people saying you know they're they're just worried about other black people no <laughs> they, they a lot of the groups um are partnering with lgbt groups or with you know in the case of texas um with mexican american groups and and different minority groups um so it's not all about um just black lives matter even in action and i suspect that a lot of the 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 chapters so to speak are doing the exact same things where wherever they are so to try to you know revolve this conversation back to the original premise of of tonight's focus ally co-conspirator standing you know standing on the sidelines what differentiates an ally and a co-conspirator and when someone who generally wants 
to be counted as someone who cares or someone who matters. Mm -hmm. How do you go from being in LA or standing on the sidelines to that, that moniker of co-conspirator or. I, I think in my view, you know, sometimes you have to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So, you know, if if you are interested in learning, you know, maybe that's where you're an ally. Read. Um, we're in the, the age where knowledge is at our fingertips. Um, one thing I would say <laughs> to be an ally or a co-conspirator you know, stop asking people um, questions that you can easily look up for yourself. Mm. Um, mm. And then once you read something, you can, then it's like, okay, hey, I read this. I have questions. So for me, that's number one, because, you know, I can't sit there and take you through the history <laughs> from mm-hmm. the the slave um, patrols all the way to today, you know, with everybody. Um, and then, like we we talked about earlier, once you're comfortable and able to to learn what knowledge is out there, apply that knowledge um, and make it, you can be comfortable. Well, I don't want to use the word comfortable because it's not a comfortable situation at all. Um, But look at what's going on around you to see how you can best be of help. Look at your friends, look at your coworkers, um, and say, how can I support you in this? Um, it's all about, again, it's all about communication. And I think it was Cheryl and Leah that said earlier about um, the, the, the moms that's still in, in the chain. They went and they said, how can we support you? What can we do? So it's, it's all about communication. Cheryl? No, I, I agree. Um, and I mean, and there's, you know, there's nothing wrong and it's highly encouraged that you really take the time to make sure that you sort of know yourself on different issues Mm -hmm. Um, that you're really honest with yourself about sort of who you are because the moment you challenge somebody they're going to challenge you right back Mm -hmm. and and i think in addition to sort of having you know information um, i think you have to be really confident in who you are and, mm-hmm. and in the, the role you're envisioning sort of taking on. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I would go even further back 
And, and you know, I, I totally agree with Will's idea that you need to read um, because, I mean, I, I know for myself, I'm always reading stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, gaining different perspectives on people's experiences in the United States um, and, and learning about different groups and, you know, the ex- just people's experiences here. Um, I mean, I, you know, so, so I think we're always, at least for myself, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm always learning. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and then, yeah, I I also do have, you know, I, I go to listening sessions. I, I participate in webinars, you know, and, and again, trying to understand sort of the way I honestly feel about certain things so that I can feel really confident and centered in who I am and sort of where I'm coming from before I start sort of taking other actions. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of you have given amazing insight and great, great, great feedback that we, I definitely taking notes. I like Leah coined the phrase, time is an evil mistress. And, I think we 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 have some BPI members who joined us. I just want to uh, recognize them and uh, let, uh, ask if there's any questions or comments to both either Will or Cheryl. I know Bruce is here. I know Jason is streaming, and I think Byron joined us. So yeah. just want to just want to give that space in case anyone wants to ask any questions to our amazing speakers tonight amazing guests and BPI members, or if we're ready to move into, you know, closing, closing remarks from Will and Cheryl. Well, I will just add that um, I'm not sure how to apply some of this to my life, but today I happened to read two different emails that said something to me. I'm not saying that it's enough but it's at least where I'm at today. And one was saying that we could honor John Lewis by revitalizing the Voting Rights Advancement Act. Mm. And so I guess I should Uh, push for that. And the other one was saying um, that I should call my senators to urge that they pass H.R. 7120, which is the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which has been passed by the House, but not by the Senate, of course. And so um, I happen to live in a state where I'm not worried about the senators and their stand on that, but um, I know that it is an issue for much of the rest of the nation. Yep. So I, those are just two things that that I, I can get a handle on. I don't know that I can really deal with some of the other aspects very well. Thank you, Bruce. But I think it's a great. I think it's a great uh, feedback, Bruce, because that is that is something that we have not covered on this uh, on this program tonight. But it is very important, and it is something that we can do. You know, advocate with our with our legislators and our elected officials to make sure that we are also fighting on that end of things to to bring to bring racial justice. Yes, and vote. And vote in November for your congresspeople and senators. And and like Will and Cheryl have said, read, educate yourselves, 
right and um, you know and and learn what what candidates stand for and what their values are and see if they're in alignment with your values and don't vote you know no pun intended but don't vote blindly mm-hmm. right right Cheryl will we thank you so much for both parts of this conversation and next week we're going to take a fun break from the hard stuff but we want to continue this conversation i think probably the next direction we'll go in is defunding the police and what that really means and i know will can come with some great statistics on that do you have any closing thoughts on allies co-conspirators sidelines before we close out tonight yeah and kind of what Bruce um, said kind of brought it to mind you know we're all part of a body and not every piece of the body does the same thing so everybody can't be a foot everybody can't be a hand or an arm just be comfortable with what your strengths are what what you're willing to step out there and do because every little bit helps in the advancement of treating everybody like they're humans. I like that. Mm-hmm. Cheryl? I'm just going to say I agree. I wish I'd thought of those words. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully Will won't mind if you take them forward in other conversations. And uh, this yeah. is Pride Connection, uh, part of blindlgbtpride.org you can find us on the web you can find us on Facebook you can find us here every Tuesday night or follow the podcast and we will be back next Tuesday with another interesting conversation and this is just part two of social justice we're going to continue the conversation and keep the diversity and the wonderful family feeling that is Blind Pride International on all fronts for all persons, for all humans, for all of us. Leah, Gabe, final thoughts? Just one clarification. Actually, I just want to point out that Dwayne Estes, one of our guests earlier, uh, made that comment about time being a mean mistress. And we've sort of, um, (laughs) we've taken that and used it for this show. But thank you, Dwayne, for that, because time (laughs) is a mean mistress. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. Sorry, Dwayne, I stole it and I I <laughs> I, I kind of assigned it to Leah, but I'm sure yeah. Dwayne, if you're listening, you won't you won't I'm I'm guessing you would you would consider that to be a distribution of the marital assets. Go <laughs> 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 into the archives to find out exactly what that means. Yes, yes. Do. <laughs> Have a great rest of the week, everybody. We'll be back next Tuesday. Peace, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to blindlgbtpride.org. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers.